Hello there, Pigskins fans, and welcome to the Week 17 edition of the Stat Pack. I'm your host, Adam Durbovalski, and in this edition, we set you up for the final regular season week. We are not going to get too much into the playoffs. We have a whole lot of playoff talk to get to next week in terms of written work and, of course, this Stat Pack podcast. But first things first, let's talk about Week 16. Let's look at the top six teams heading into the final regular season week, and then let's break down those matchups for Week 17. Let's get things started with our six-pack of stories and headlines. We're going to start things off in our six-pack of headlines with a look at Eli Manning and his overall worth as a quote-unquote elite quarterback. And I put that in quotes because, well, I'm going to say it right now, Eli Manning is not an elite quarterback. He never was, and quite frankly, he never will be. And I understand the man has won two Super Bowls, fourth quarter comebacks in both of those Super Bowl victories. And in fact, in 2007 and 2011, he led the league in fourth quarter comebacks. However, I want to make this argument. If Eli Manning was an elite quarterback, he wouldn't even need those fourth quarter comebacks. Here at Cold Hard Football Facts, we like to look at the key stats, the quality stats, the stats that matter. And we can look at things like passer rating, yards per attempt, and even sometimes completion percentage to get really a good feel on how the quarterback plays. But I want to look at this in a perspective of what the quarterback did relative to his era. And so far, Eli Manning, in his career, up till week 16 of this season, so heading into the final game of the 2012 season, Eli Manning in the regular season has an 82.28 passer rating with 7.06 yards per attempt and a completion percentage of 58.59. If you're to look at that relative to the NFL from 2004 to 2012, Eli Manning has a relative passer rating of plus 1.20, a relative yards per attempt of plus 0.52, and a relative completion percentage of negative 1.85. If you're to compare that to the other 10 quarterbacks who won multiple Super Bowls, he would rank second to last in relative passer rating, being ahead of only Jim Plunkett, who we can look at his history and understand that he was more or less a quarterback who was really benefiting from the circumstances of playing with the L.A. Raiders the way he revived his career. Plunkett had a relative passer rating of only plus .08, but then Manning last among the 11 quarterbacks in relative yards per attempt and last among multiple Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, and relative completion percentage. So if you look at the all-time greats in terms of winning Super Bowls, Eli Manning has to rank towards the bottom. And in fact, an interesting thing, I'm going to mention this right now, Roger Stallback is actually number one among the 11 quarterbacks in relative passer rating, even ahead of Joe Montana by .22. Stallback is also number one in relative yards per attempt, and those are probably the two best indicators in terms of quarterback success through the years, the relative passer rating and the relative yards per attempt. 
and then Montana is number one in relative completion percentage. A relative completion percentage of plus 7.45, that obviously had a lot to do with the West Coast offense of Bill Walsh. So is it possible that the numbers actually say that Roger Staubach is a better quarterback than Joe Montana? Now, I'm not exactly saying that. I need a little bit more to develop and analyze as opposed to just relative regular season stats. Joe Montana, after all, won four Super Bowls. Roger Staubach won only two and lost both of his games to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the Super Bowl and also lost Super Bowl five to the Indianapolis Colts. Is it possible if the Cowboys were able to get one of those games to go their way that Roger Staubach is remembered as the greatest quarterback of all time? I really wonder. Anywho, if we're going to say that, okay, Eli Manning still won two Super Bowls and there's been only two other active quarterbacks who've done that, Tom Brady with three, Ben Roethlisberger with two, I want to look at this for a second. Eli Manning playing from 2004 to 2012. You can look at names like Drew Brees, who has played, in fact, three more seasons than Eli Manning. So, in fact, if you're to look at the passer rating of the league from 2001 to 2012, it's actually going to be worse than the NFL passer rating from 2004 to 2012. Same thing actually will go for 2005 to 2012 based on how good the 2004 season was. But Aaron Rodgers also, along with Peyton Manning, who began his career in 1998, and I even took out the 2011 season under consideration for Peyton Manning, but you still look at those quarterbacks' career pass ratings. Peyton, 95.5. Aaron Rodgers, 104.5. Drew Brees, 94.1. It's all considerably better than Eli Manning by, at the least, 11 points. At the least. And, and for some quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers, it's more than 20 points greater. So if Eli Manning doesn't have the dominance in the regular season... And although he's a great, successful, clutch quarterback in the fourth quarter and in the playoffs, if he's not doing things great relative to his era, and you have a guy like Ben Roethlisberger, who's a contemporary, who many may say is the most comparable guy to Eli, Roethlisberger's number, a relative pass rating, plus 11.14, relative yards per attempt, plus 1.41, which is third best among multiple Super Bowl winning quarterbacks in a relative completion percentage of plus 2.65. Bottom line, Eli Manning just isn't elite. He's a very good quarterback who can get the job done in the clutch. And really, there's nothing wrong with that. He's won two Super Bowls. I think Eli Manning sleeps at night perfectly fine and he has nothing to worry about. He's going to get a bust in Canton. There's no reason to complain about that or dispute that. All that's perfectly fine and peachy, but the bottom line is Eli Manning is not elite and should not be considered elite by anyone in the mainstream media. Second up on the six-pack of headlines involves the Seattle Seahawks and this 2012 version of the Seahawks being the best team in franchise history. Now, obviously, there's the Super Bowl team back in 2005 where the Seahawks went 13-3 that season and, in fact, at one time had a 10-game winning streak. But let's look at what this Seattle Seahawks team has done over the last three weeks, and it's really historic what this team has done. 
their third consecutive game, scoring at least 42 points as they defeated the San Francisco 49ers 42-13 Sunday night. With that victory, in their last three games, they have outscored their opponents 150-30. to That's right, an average margin of victory of 50-10 to in their last three victories. If you were to look at a three-game span throughout NFL history for any team, you can only really look at one team that was able to put together a more impressive offensive performance, and that's the 1950 Rams, where between Week 5 and Week 7, they scored a combined 160 points. Now, they scored 30 points in Week 5, 28 points in Week 8, so that meant from Week 6 to Week 8, they scored a total of 158 points. Outside of those 1950 Rams, you look at the Seahawks, that 150 points in three games probably has to be the most impressive. But looking back at the history, how many NFL teams scored at least 45, uh, 42 points in three consecutive games? The answer is only four teams. The 1948 Chicago Bears, who in three consecutive weeks scored 51, 48, and 42 combining for 141 points. The next team, the 1968 Cleveland Browns, 137 points in those three games as they scored 45, 47, and 45. Then the 2007 Patriots scoring 149 points in a three-game span, scoring 48, 49, and 52. And then finally, last year, the New Orleans Saints, in their last three games of the season in the regular season, Combining for 132 points, they scored 42, 45, and 45. And oh, by the way, the Saints then got 45 points in their first playoff game, meaning they had at least 42 points in four consecutive games. So keep a lookout for that for the Seattle Seahawks coming up for Week 17 against the Rams. But bottom line, this is a Seahawks team that is known for their great defense, but is getting the job done also offensively. And really an impressive team all around. And I think that is what makes this team the best in franchise history is the way they can get it done all around. Looking at this team at the beginning of the season, really the only thing holding them back was the Russell Willison experience as a rookie and him getting involved in the game. Well, now if you look at his overall rating over the last six to seven games, it's absolutely absurd. Through the Seahawks' last seven games where Seattle is 6-1, and one, during this span, look at Russell Wilson's number for a second. Think about this, what he's done in his last seven games. 108 completions and 164 passing attempts for 1,402 yards, 15 touchdowns, and two interceptions. This is a passer rating of 117.99, which is right up there with the elite seasons in NFL history. And he's doing this as a rookie over a seven-game span. Oh, by the way, if you also include his rushing numbers, which he had three rushing touchdowns two weeks ago against Buffalo, overall, in his last seven games, his real quarterback rating, this includes being sacked 13 times in the last seven games, his QBR is 116.16. He's basically getting things, uh, getting things done at a historic level over the last seven games. So right now, Russell Wilson isn't holding back this team. He's putting up historic numbers. And then you have the best defense in the National Football League, arguably. So right now you have the Seattle Seahawks 
dangerous at all levels. They're an all-around complete football team, and this is the best Seattle Seahawks football team in franchise history. Next up on our six-pack of headlines involves a guarantee. Yep, that's right, a guarantee. And this is actually a guarantee that will go against what I said in the preseason. And it's the Houston Texans falling in the postseason. Before the season, I had the Houston Texans winning the Super Bowl over the Chicago Bears. While the Bears will need to win Sunday against Detroit and then have Green Bay win in Minnesota just to make the playoffs, the Houston Texans only need a win in Indianapolis on Sunday to get the top seed in the NFL playoffs. But I want you to go back a few weeks to one of my previous editions of the Stat Pack and think about the Houston Texans after their loss to the New England Patriots. When I said that the Texans were in huge danger of no longer being a serious threat to win the Super Bowl, I cited the Texans losing multiple games by at least 18 points. Well, let's go back to this past Sunday when the Texans lost at home to the Minnesota Vikings 23-6. It marks their third loss that was by 17 points or more. No Super Bowl champion ever had more than two losses by 17 points. In fact, let's do a little flashback and recap the four teams who lost multiple games by at least 17 points and then went on to win the Super Bowl. The 1970 Colts, who went 11-2-1, lost 44-24 against Kansas City and 34-17 at Miami. The 1979 Pittsburgh Steelers lost to the Cincinnati Bengals 34-10 and lost to the San Diego Chargers 35-7. The 1988 49ers went 10-6 and lost 34-17 to the Atlanta Falcons and 38-16 against the LA Rams. Then finally, the 2007 Giants lost to the Green Bay Packers 35-13 and then lost to the Minnesota Vikings 41-17. The Texans, if they somehow win the Super Bowl, will be setting a new precedent and given really how all this works out on the stat pack and with Mathletics, I'm not going to pick the team that is to set a new precedent. So I'm saying the Houston Texans will not win the Super Bowl. They will fall short. I think they may even fall short of the Super Bowl. And next week, we will look in detail at the Super Bowl winners and Super Bowl losers and see where the playoff teams fall short if they do of the Super Bowl teams and from there we'll kind of make our best prediction as to what will happen come playoff time but anywho with the Texans I want you to think about this for a second this is only the fifth time this season where the Texans were trailing in the second half now their two victories were fantastic home against Jacksonville where they trailed in the third quarter 24-17 and then trailed at 1.34-20 would later on win in overtime 43-37. to Then the Texans would trail at halftime 21-14 to the Detroit Lions and at one point, in fact, be down 24-14 before they won in overtime 34-31. However, look at their other three times. Losing to the Packers by 18, 
losing to the Patriots by 28 and losing to the Minnesota Vikings by 17. In those games, they trailed at halftime by 11 points, 21 points, and 10 points, respectively. In none of those games did they actually have a better performance in the second half. And those were against three playoff teams, or if Minnesota loses, two playoff teams. Their two wins against Jacksonville, who's 2-13, and and Detroit, who's 4-11. and And those teams, perhaps by season's end, will only have six combined wins. So nothing is really looking good for the Houston Texans right now. The one silver lining involves the 1970 Baltimore Colts. And I'll explain right now exactly why that might be a silver lining. Looking back at those four teams quickly, all four of those teams had at least three fourth quarter comebacks. Now the Houston Texans this season, as I mentioned, only have two. But the 1970 Colts, in those three fourth quarter comebacks, none of them happen against winning teams. Unfortunately for the Texans, if you look at the other three teams, they did make comebacks against winning teams. The 1979 Steelers, who had four fourth-quarter comebacks in the regular season, defeated the 9-7 New England Patriots and 9-7 Cleveland Browns, both by the regular season route. Then in 1988, the 49ers had three fourth-quarter comebacks, all three of those against winning teams, the 10-6 New York Giants, the 10-6 Rams, and the 11-5 the Minnesota Vikings. And then finally, the 2007 Giants, three fourth-quarter comebacks. They did have one against the 9-7 Washington Redskins. Now, here's a fun fact that I want to throw out there, and maybe if Houston proves me wrong, they will do so in this round. I mentioned all four of those teams having at least three fourth-quarter comebacks in a regular season. Also, all four of those teams had a fourth-quarter comeback when? In the Super Bowl. That's right. The 1970 Colts, down 13-6 in Super Bowl V, win 16-13. In 1979, the Pittsburgh Steelers defeating the Rams 31-19. They had that go-ahead touchdown pass to... Stallworth in the fourth quarter, so there's Terry Bradshaw the fourth quarter comeback. The 1988 49ers, a historic play, the Montana to Taylor connection in the final minute to defeat the Cincinnati Bengals, and obviously the 2007 Giants, we all know about it, the 18-1 season for the New England Patriots, David Tyree's helmet catch, and then finally Eli Manning with that fade in the left side of the end zone to Plaxico Burris. Looking at those four fourth-quarter comebacks in the Super Bowl, my question is, can the Texans find a way to get it done against a good team? So far, you look at it right now, they have shown absolutely no evidence whatsoever. At the least, the 1970 Colts, when you look at it against the Chiefs, they trailed 31-7 at the half. They were at least able to outscore the Chiefs 17-13 in that comeback attempt. Against Miami, they trailed at 24-10 at the half. So that second one, they were outscored in the second half. But that Chiefs game, they showed at least a little bit of a comeback ability. You look at the three fourth quarter comebacks as well. I think that gives them a little bit more precedent than the Houston Texans right now. And then obviously the three other teams with the comebacks, 
the fourth quarter comebacks against winning teams. And really all of those teams, you look at it, outside of the 2007 Giants and those two blowout losses, it wasn't a case where both of them got worse. Of course, the Texans have three blowout losses, and in all three scenarios, they got worse. And they have more blowout losses than fourth quarter comebacks. And obviously, that's not the case for either of these four teams, any of those four teams, really. So I, I really question the Houston Texans and their comeback ability. And I think when you have a game against either Tom Brady or Peyton Manning looming, if they don't somehow fall to a 4, 5, or 6 seed, there's going to be a case, I think, where the Houston Texans fall short even of the Super Bowl and consider, at the least, falling short of winning a Super Bowl a guarantee, but don't even be shocked if they fall short in their first playoff game in the AFC playoffs. On now to number four of our six-pack of headlines, and that involves a new turbo lover. Not Jamal Charles, but C.J. Spiller. Welcome in the new member of the Hall of Fame watch here on the Stat Pack. In fact, it's going to be a new Mathletics favorite, C.J. Spiller, with now one of the historic seasons of all time when it comes to this big explosive running ability and even the efficiency overall when it's all said and done. C.J. Spiller could be your new Hall of Famer in the making beyond the likes of an Adrian Peterson who is so close to the 2,000-yard season. He's not even the best per carry running back this season. In fact, it has to be C.J. Spiller who with 183 carries for 1,159 yards and 6 touchdowns, he has... A 6.48 per carry average that is the highest in NFL history for any running back with at least 150 carries. So all Spiller needs is a big game against the New York Jets and he could put himself in the history books. Now let's compare this to two other elite seasons. First things first, Jim Brown in the greatest running back season of all time in 1963. 291 carries for 1,863 yards and 12 touchdowns. He had a 6.40 per carry average. Meanwhile, the turbo lover, Jamal Charles, in 2010, 230 carries for 1,467 yards and 5 touchdowns for a 6.38 per carry average. So for C.J. Spiller, you have to look at this season and you have to put it up there in terms of a per carry basis as one of the best of all time. Now, I'm not saying this means that he's having one of the greatest seasons overall. He obviously doesn't have enough of the carries right now. But at least what this is saying is that the Bills should part way with Fred Jackson and give the full-time job to C.J. Spiller. Oh, by the way, for Spiller's career now, because he's had some good seasons before, 364 carries for 2,029 yards. And 10 touchdowns. He has a per carry basis right now for his career at 5.57. If he's able to duplicate that total and just a little bit more than double it, he could find himself in the record books. Now, we already mentioned Jamal Charles trying to put himself in the history books a few weeks ago. Well, Charles is now up 
to 770 carries for 4,483 yards and 17 touchdowns with a per carry basis of 5.82. That is the highest in the history books in terms of a per carry average for running backs with at least 750. And one of our writers, Nate Winkler, in fact, gave you the NFL history books. But I also want to include a few other guys in there as well. First things first, Marion Motley, who began his career in the AAFC with the Cleveland Browns, he had a career per carry average of 5.70. Now, if you take away the AAFC carries, he doesn't get to at least 750. And that's the reason why he's not included in the NFL history books. But if you're to look it up on Pro Football Reference, you'll find out that Motley indeed still, by a per carry basis, is the best non-active running back of all time. Now, obviously, you know Jim Brown, 5.22 yards per carry. Mercury Morris, 5.14. But also Joe Perry, who also began his career in the AAFC, except he began his career with the San Francisco 49ers before they moved over to the NFL. He had a per carry career average of 5.04, but his best years were the two years in the AAFC with the San Francisco 49ers. If you take those two years away, he doesn't reach the five yards per carry average. But there's two other running backs who at least averaged five yards per carry in their careers with at least 750 carries. Adrian Peterson is now up to 5.03. In the past few games, he's gotten over that mark of five yards per carry when a few weeks ago he was just under it. And finally, Gail Sayers, who's at 5.001 for his career. You may have C.J. Spiller enter that list as well. And I'm curious to see what the Bills will do with him. Because right now, C.J. Spiller is the best player on that team. And they're not taking full advantage of him. But I at least want to give this shout-out to what is a great season for C.J. Spiller. Moving on to number five in our six-pack of headlines. And I want you guys to remember last week how I said the NFC, in fact, had some unusual parity, which is a lot different than what we talk about here on Cold Hard Football Facts. But I flipped the script here for number five and indeed talk about how the AFC lacks parity whatsoever. I just want you guys to think about this here as the playoff field is now set in the AFC, at least in terms of what six teams are in. Cincinnati defeated Pittsburgh. 13 to 10 on Sunday, becoming the sixth and final team into the playoffs. There's been only one difference from last year to this year, and that's Pittsburgh out, Indianapolis in. You have the same four division winners and the same six seed. This is the first time since 1994 where there were five of six playoff teams returning in a conference. In fact, it's only the second time since they expanded to six wildcard teams in each conference in 1990. So this definitive proof that parity is lacking in the AFC. But, oh wait, there's more. New England winning 10 of the last 12 AFC East crowns. The only two times they didn't do it. 2002 when the Jets won. 2008 when the Dolphins won. Meanwhile, Baltimore and Pittsburgh combining for six of the last seven AFC North crowns. Unbelievable when you think about that. And in fact, 
since the inception of the AFC North. There's only been twice since 2002 when it wasn't the Ravens or Steelers winning the division. Cincinnati has those two other crowns in 2005 and 2009. Meanwhile, Peyton Manning, in eight of his last nine seasons that he's played, has the division title. I'm excluding 2011 because he didn't play. The only year that he didn't do it, 2008, when the Tennessee Titans won the AFC South. And finally, the Indianapolis Colts, they've made the playoffs 12 of their last 14 seasons. So you look at that parity for the winners, it's pretty much all the same. On the flip side, the constant losers in the AFC, and this is a big reason why those teams aren't being challenged. You have between the Cleveland Browns, Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins, and Oakland Raiders, all of one playoff appearance in 2003. That was the Miami Dolphins in 2008. They went one and done. Oh, by the way, also no playoff victories for the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cincinnati Bengals. And then just one playoff win each for the Jaguars, Texans, and Titans since 2003. So between those nine teams in the AFC, between those nine teams, there's one playoff victory in the past decade. And of those nine teams, who made the playoffs? Cincinnati and Houston. Cincinnati is the sixth seed, likely to go to New England for the wild card round. And I already talked about the Texans being a threat to go one and done. Is it possible throughout an entire decade that those nine teams have a combined one, or excuse me, three playoff victories? That is just mind-boggling, and it's really the lack of depth that hurts the AFC, which has no parity whatsoever. And now we go to our sixth and final item of our six-pack of headlines, and that involves Week 17 must-win games. And there's more than just the Cowboys needing to win, the Vikings needing to win, the Bears needing to win, the Giants needing to win, and all those teams in the NFC fighting to get into the playoffs. There's three teams that have already clinched a playoff berth who absolutely must win on Sunday. Those three teams, the Houston Texans, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Baltimore Ravens. First things first with the Texans and 49ers. They're trying to avoid heading into the playoffs with a losing streak. And there's been only two teams in NFL history that had a losing streak going into the playoffs and still won the Super Bowl. The 1967 Green Bay Packers lost to the LA Rams 27-24. The Rams were an 11-1-2 team. The Packers would later defeat them two weeks later in the divisional round 28-7. Meanwhile, they would then lose 24-17 to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Then the 2009 Saints did it after starting 13-0. They lost to the Cowboys week 15, 24-17. The Cowboys were an 11-5 playoff team. After that, the Saints would lose in overtime at home to the Buccaneers, 2017. Then they would lose at the, uh, the Carolina Panthers, 23-10. What you did not see for either team was a blowout loss. And we kind of already covered it for both teams. The Texans lost to the Minnesota Vikings 23-6. The 49ers lost 
to the Seattle Seahawks 42-13. So they must bounce back with a victory. Meanwhile, the Baltimore Ravens, if they were to lose in Cincinnati, they would finish the year 10-6 in being losers of four of their last five games. No team in NFL history won the Super Bowl when finishing the regular season on a 1-4 and four stretch. So the Ravens might be in a bigger must-win situation than the Texans and 49ers, but I think all three of those teams absolutely need to win on Sunday. Moving forward on to our six-pack of top teams through Week 16, as we have quite a few changes here to my top six. We'll start things off with actually a team that stays at number one. My number one last week and still this week is the New England Patriots. Now, again, I understand that they are seventh in the quality stats power rankings, but they're number one in scoreability, number one in the relativity index, and number one in the offensive hog index, being the top team in negative pass play percentage and third down offense. So although I think the Patriots, in terms of their quality stats, don't exactly match up right now in terms of the playoff strength to be the top-rated team for playoff success, they are number one in terms of regular season purposes. The regular season stats stack up pretty well right now for the New England Patriots. Number two on my list, the Denver Broncos. They are second in the quality stats power rankings, number one in real passing yards per attempt, number one in the defensive hog index. Again, that balance of the passing game with Peyton Manning in the front seven with Von Miller. They rank at the top in the NFL by quite a considerable margin in sack differential, and that is a big reason why the Broncos are number two. Meanwhile, number three, a team that has hopped up right now to my top six, and that is the Seattle Seahawks. Obviously, what they've done in the last three games is phenomenal, 150-10. to 10. Though I'm going to kind of not put a whole lot of weight into that that some other people might be doing because it's only three games out of 15. They're now number one in the quality stats power rankings and a balanced team all around, second in bendability, second in passer rating differential, second in the relativity index, and in fact, they're in the top eight in every quality stat except the defensive hog index. So you look at that right now, Seattle getting the job done all around. They are number three, though, because I think there are two more proven teams in the Patriots and Broncos ahead of the Seahawks right now. Number four on my list, the Green Bay Packers. Third in the quality stats power rankings. They rank number one in offensive pass rating and pass rating differential, as well as third in real quarterback rating. Number five, the Houston Texans. They are sixth in the quality stats power rankings, and I keep them at number five here because of their balance. They're in the top 12 in every quality stat except the offensive hog index. Meanwhile, the best ranking, the defensive hog index, at number two. And finally, the number six team here in my top six is the Atlanta Falcons, the top seed in the NFC. They're the top seed for a reason. They're fourth in the quality stats power rankings, which is in fact second among NFC teams. Are actually make that third. Seattle and Green Bay are both ahead of them. They're third among NFC teams, not second. But they are number one in bendability and number three in real passing yards per attempt. So that rounds up my top six. Now let's wrap things up with a six-pack of the top matchups 
for week 17, the final week in the regular season. All divisional matchups. Some teams are ending their season. Some teams are getting geared for the playoffs. Some teams are fighting for their lives here in 2012. We'll start things off. Number six, the Houston Texans and the Indianapolis Colts. Now, this is a huge mismatch. The Texans, sixth in the quality stats power rankings. The Colts are 27th, but it is, in fact, the only matchup this week with two double-digit win teams. The Texans at 12-3, the Colts at 10-5. And both teams still have a lot to play for. The Texans, they're fighting for the top seed in the AFC right now. And the Colts, not only are they fighting to get a quality win, which they do not have since week five, but Chuck Pagano comes back. It's his first game coaching since returning from chemotherapy. I think this team is going to be very, very motivated to come out and get a victory for the Colts against the Texans. Number five on my list, the Carolina Panthers at the New Orleans Saints. Now, both of these teams have a losing record right now, but they're playing some great football as of late. The Panthers are 4-1 in their last five games. The Saints have won two in a row, beating the Buccaneers 41-0 and then winning in overtime in Dallas with the Cowboys fighting for a playoff spot last week. So both teams are playing very well. They're the top two NFC teams right now with a losing record in the quality stats power rankings. And oh, by the way, both teams are in the top five in real passing yards per attempt. You have Cam Newton against Drew Brees. And overall, they're really even teams. Carolina, 15th in pass rating differential. The Saints are 14th. In the Relativity Index, the Panthers are 16th. The Saints are 14th. So this, at least, should be an exciting, good offensive matchup that will be close. Number four on my list, a good defensive matchup. The St. Louis Rams at the Seattle Seahawks. Again, the Seahawks, top eight in every quality stat except defensive hog index. But the Rams... Seventh in defensive hog index. How much can that defensive line get to Russell Wilson, who had a three-interception performance in St. Louis back in Week 4? That was Russell's worst game of the season. Meanwhile, the Rams are 4-0-1 against the NFC West. So they might be able to put a little bit of a resistance against the Seahawks. But the question here for the Seahawks, I really do want to see if they can put up another 42-point game. Number three on my list. The Green Bay Packers at the Minnesota Vikings. Adrian Peterson obviously chasing history 102 yards away from 2,000. And right now at 6.04 yards per attempt, it'll be interesting to see what he does after last week having 25 carries for 86 yards. That was a 3.44 per yard or, or yard per carry clip. And that, in fact, actually tied his worst output from the season, 3.44 25 carries, 86 yards, also week three against San Francisco. We'll see if Peterson can bounce back. I think the 210 needed to get to Eric Dickerson is a little bit too far out of the way. But anywho, I want to see him get to 2,000. Meanwhile, Minnesota's three-game winning streak looking pretty good. Although they have an unimpressive mark in the quality stats power rankings right in the middle of the pack, their last three games wins against Chicago, who's 8th in the power rankings, at St. Louis, who's 15th, and at Houston, who's 6th. So Minnesota playing at their best football right now over the last three games, going up against a Green Bay team with a win that gets the number two seed and right up there near the top. Again, their third in the quality stats power rankings. 
Number two, how about the only matchup between two top 12 teams in the quality stats power rankings? Number nine, the Ravens. At number 11, the Cincinnati Bengals. Baltimore is between 10th and 12th in seven quality stats categories. Meanwhile, you look at Cincinnati, they are 12th or 13th in offensive pass rating, defensive pass rating, pass rating differential, and the relativity index. Baltimore between 10 and 12 in all of those indicators. And if you look at right now, the predictability in terms of the quality stats, the predictive rate, they're the best. Last year for relativity index, this year offensive passer rating, they're pretty much even. So this should be a pretty good game. See, Cincinnati doesn't have much to play for, but it looks like they might get their guys to play this game the full 60 minutes. Meanwhile, the Ravens, again, they need a victory to avoid a 1-4 stretch to close out the regular season. And obviously, number one, Dallas at Washington. This is the only game where both teams need to win to get in. And then just look at the quarterback matchup. Tony Romo, last eight games, 219 completions and 328 attempts, 2,612 yards, 17 touchdowns, three interceptions. That's a pass rating of 104.37 in those eight games. Five games with a 100-plus passer rating, four fourth-quarter comebacks. And in fact, in two failed comebacks, he even got the team within striking distance. Last week, the 14-point comeback in the final five minutes against the Saints to send that game to overtime. And then the first time against Washington in the fourth quarter, the Cowboys were down at one point, 35-13. Romo got it within seven at 38-31. So you look at it six times in the last eight games. He was absolutely huge in the fourth quarter. This, my friends could go down to the wire and beat a memorable game in this history rivalry, this historical rivalry. It's going to be phenomenal. And, well, if you're a Cowboys or Redskins fan, good luck. That just about does it for this edition. In fact, that's going to end this edition of the Stat Pack. This is Adam Dorowalski signing out for now. We'll be back on the airwaves next week for a podcast to wrap up the regular season, preview the postseason, and much more. We'll have also exclusive, extensive articles looking into the playoff history, how the 12 playoff teams stack up to the previous conference champions as well as the Super Bowl winning versus Super Bowl losing dynamics. We have all that stuff coming up next week right here on Cold Hard Football Facts. Until then... Enjoy week 17, everybody.